Welcome, listeners, to a podcast that seeks to ignite the flames of inspiration and empowerment within the ServiceNow community. I'm Farah Wells, your host and the director of Linking Humans, the number one global partner for ServiceNow recruitment. Join us on this journey as we venture deep into the world of ServiceNow leaders, discover the very essence of their motivations and the unique mindset that paved the way for their remarkable success. Okay, so welcome to today's podcast. Um, I've got an amazing guest today. His name is Glenn McCarty. Now, he currently serves as the consulting director at Velocity Smart Consulting. Now, after a really successful tenure as a transition director for Unisys, Glenn made a strategic shift to client-side consultancy. Now, since 2013, he's played an integral role within Velocity Smart Consulting, focusing on the mission of delivering exceptional IT service management experiences for their valued clients. So, Glenn, a huge thank you to you for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me, Farrah. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, that's wonderful. So, Glenn, um, first of all, you know, I know we're talking off air. We were talking about your amazing ServiceNow World Forum um, gig that you had uh, speaking. So, how was it for you? Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, and, it, you know, it's a great opportunity to speak with ServiceNow. Um, and quite an honour. Uh, of all the hundreds of partners, you know, they asked me to turn up and talk a bit about the Build programme, which doesn't yeah. get a lot of attention really from ServiceNow partners. It's kind of like the poor cousin at the side of consulting and implementing and reseller. And I think that's because people don't really see it as a big revenue driver. So yeah. internally within ServiceNow, there's a big initiative right now to try to drive Build to um, uh, enhance awareness uh, and to try to show people that actually it's really easy to get involved with Build and it's a really good revenue stream. So it was a really great process to talk with ServiceNow and then get out there and try to talk to the other partners about what we've been doing in Build to see if it helps them on their early stages of journey. Yeah, that's amazing. And you know what? I can vouch for it because I was there. I, I came and I watched you and it was just amazing. You know, just, uh, it, you know, it's just giving uh, opportunities, right? So, which is fantastic. You know, it absolutely is. I mean, it was an opportunity for us, but hopefully we can start expanding that to opportunities for other people. And certainly one of the areas that we see working with ServiceNow is it's difficult to not know what you don't know, right? Um, and mm. so if you're working in consulting and implementing, ServiceNow do a great job of working with partners on, you know, different consulting capabilities and um, the certifications around it. There are learning paths around it. There's all sorts of ways to say within consulting and implementing, how do you consult and implement more? But taking a jump over into a different stream, such as Build, seems like a big step for um, for partners and really ServiceNow are trying to kind of break down that it's a big thing to move into some of these other streams because it really isn't. And hopefully that's what we did at the, the show at the World Forum. Yeah, that's amazing. So wonderful. So for anybody who doesn't know you um, as well as I know you, you know, could you just kind of share maybe perhaps your background journey? How? Let's start at the beginning, right? How you first got introduced to ServiceNow and how you've achieved such great success to be in the position you are today. Well, thank you. I mean, it's lovely to hear that you think I'm successful, first of all. <laughs> um, we never think that of ourselves, right? So it's always nice to hear it from other people. Um, my background actually started really, I would say pre-IT. I was never in the IT industry. 
it was never really a goal for me when I was young. And certainly when I started my career, I never imagined I would be in this sort of space right now. Um, so when I started, I was very much in call centers. I bounced around jobs like a pinball when I was in my 20s and worked in various different call centers and found I had a bit of a, um, a skill for communication. Um, and that meant that I again, you know, basically started working, just working in a call center, right? So I then moved to call center supervisor, call center manager. So I worked in the industry for a long time and eventually ended up implementing call centers. So I uh, started building them for people like cable and wireless. Um, uh, when they were in, in the Dern Valley in the UK um, and moved out to Amsterdam, actually. I, I made a move over there when I was um, in my early 30s and implemented call centers for people like TomTom Tom and Adobe. But it was just customer service call centers. So then while I was in the Netherlands, I got a job offer, essentially, from a company called Unisys, which is a well-known large managed service provider, but that was still to set up call centers. It was not IT at all. Um, and I worked setting up their service desks, basically, so really just the kind of call operations side of things for a couple of years, um, and was fortunate to be promoted to transition management, and then finally transition director. And that meant I had to then encompass a broader spectrum of capabilities for implementation, not just then the, the call center or the service desk part of things. I was then implementing all of the other IT services, which brought me very much into the IT fold. Um, and I worked with them as transition director for seven years, uh, eventually, and then skipped over to um, uh, working. Actually, I, I did a consultancy gig for Velocity. Um, and uh, when Velocity first started, uh, we'd been uh, introduced through a company called Gatwick. So it was actually the Gatwick Airports organization to do some um, transformation enablement. Uh, and they use ServiceNow. Um, and so um, we kind of got involved with ServiceNow through client. Um, and I um, then stepped out to uh, run a project for a company called Viola Environmental, who wants a target operating model. So that was then pulling in some of my background about IT service management, again, from Unisys, to create a target operating model, which then reflected onto the way that they wanted their ServiceNow implemented. And so I worked with Viola for about a year, and you know, I was up to my armpits then in ServiceNow, and it hasn't stopped since. Wow, that sounds incredible. And, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, what what year was that then you got introduced to ServiceNow? Was it quite early on? Yeah, so, I mean, Velocity was working with Gatwick 2011, 2012, um, and Viola Environmental was the end of 2012 all the way through 2013. So, yeah, it's about 10 years ago now, which um, in the IT industry is forever, right? <laughs> in the IT industry, 10 years feels like a thousand. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's quite a while now since I was introduced to them, and uh, then my career has gradually built from there. So I was actually yeah. working with Velocity as a consultant uh, back in the yeah. day, and Veolia went really, really well, um, and so then Velocity asked me to stay on as a uh, managing consultant then, uh, and finally a few years ago they um, offered me partnership, so I'm now one of the four partners that, that own and run, and it really has been a gradual progression from consultant to managing consultant, then on to director and, uh, and partner, so it's been uh, a really interesting 10 years to become more involved in the business side of things, as well as delivering, um, hopefully, excellence for our clients. Yeah, that sounds incredible. And I, I just love your career, how it's panned out. Um, and obviously, now that you are a partner, that transition that you had from consultant and all the way up to partner, like, how, how what advice would you give to like people that want to kind of make that kind of mark in the business to, to kind of get that kind of level? What, what advice would you give those guys? Be patient, really. Um, I think one of the difficulties that we see is from both the IT industry and the younger kind of what I call Insta generation, you know, people that have grown up with, you know, Instagram and immediate Insta fame, is that I think there's a real belief that you can have instant success and you're going to start a job and within three weeks you're going to have a promotion and within six weeks you're going to have a six-figure salary and within six months you're going to be top of the industry and, and living a fabulous life. 
doesn't work that way. Patience is the key. Uh, consistency of approach, you know, work. And unfortunately, it's a bit of a boring story because I'd love to say there's a magic wand and an immediate solution to getting instant uh, success. The reality is it's consistency, it's hard work, and it's dedication over a long period of time. Um, I mean, it's taken me 10 years working with Velocity to get to the place that I am now. It's not something that can happen immediately, even if, because when I joined Velocity, I already had a lot of experience. I was already in my 40s. I've been working in this industry a long time, but still there is no instant success. So um, consistency, patience, and hard work, unfortunately, are the, are the answers to it. Yeah, that sounds incredible. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's really interesting because obviously that comes down to mindset, right? It comes down to attitude. Yeah. Um, how would you say that you've managed to, like, develop that kind of, you know, patient mindset? You know, you, you didn't job hop, right? You didn't kind of go, oh, this, this is not happening, right? Let me go join someone else where I can get promoted. And how, how did you kind of have that mindset to kind of go, no, I'm going to stick with this and... It's going to work out in the end. So I think actually a lot of that comes down to an acceptance of a loss. So whatever job we're in, there's going to be good days, there's going to be bad days. There's going to be days when you're winning, there's going to be days when you're losing. And it's really easy to focus on the good days and think, yeah, this is what it's all about. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to enjoy my success. But then become almost dented by the losses and feel that if you're having a bad day, a bad week, because we do have those, um, bad month even sometimes, you know, the... Opportunities are not converting. Um, the current clients are complaining. The invoicing is not where we want it to. You know, there are times when it's difficult. And an ability to accept that loss as a learning opportunity, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the job. It's not the end of my satisfaction with this. It's something where, you know what, there are some opportunities here for me to learn about why this is a bad day, a bad week, or a bad month. Mm. Take that on board. Accept it doesn't make me a bad person because things are not going well this day, this week, this month, and try to flip that around into an understanding about what can I learn from that loss and how can I make next day, next week, next month into a win. And that kind of yeah. bloody-mindedness bloody mindedness and resilience about consuming losses and not being driven down by them, I think, is the key. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And, you know, obviously you touched upon being resilient, right? And that's, I think, essential in navigating the ups and downs, um, especially when you're in quite a challenging industry. Mm. How have you personally built that resilience to kind of not let it, you know, get you down? And, and what strategies would you, uh, have you kind of, do you employ to kind of bounce back from those setbacks as well? I mean, that's been a journey in itself, as with all of us, particularly when I was younger. Yeah, of course, the losses get you down. You know what, you have a bad day. <clears throat> Your manager calls you and says, hey, I don't like what you did with this client. A client calls you and says, hey, I'm not really happy. Anything can happen to give you a negative experience. And when you're younger, it's really easy to take those on board because we don't really realize that everybody has bad days. You know what, if my manager's calling me grumpy and saying, hey, I don't like the way that you handled that issue, well, it's probably because he's having a bad day as well. It's probably because he got a hard, <laughs> a bit of a hard call from the client, giving him grief as well. So I think an understanding that, you know what, we all have bad days. It doesn't define us. It doesn't generate the journey. It gives us opportunities and an ability to be able to talk to the other people who are creating that bad day. It's really important to be able to sit down with them and say, okay, hey, I get that you're disappointed, unhappy, whatever it is. I completely accept that. Let's talk about it. Let's work out why that's the situation. Is there something I can do differently next time? Is there some different way that we can work together to make this into a success? I think it's really been the key because it means that when I do have one of those negative issues, one of those down days, the resilience comes from the ability to consume that negative and try to turn it into a positive, which stops me focusing on it being just a negative and I'm a bad person. I didn't do something well.
Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, and you know, it, you know, they do have that kind of, it's that psych, psychology saying about, you know, if someone is having a bad day or is taking it out on you, it's like, well, you know, they're obviously having issues, right? So it's not a reflection on you. And, you know, it's like, it's almost like trying to be in your own bubble to kind of not let that kind of influence you. So, yeah. yeah. I think it's a focus on the why. You know, quite often when people are giving us negative feedback, it's not the feedback itself that's important. It's why they're giving the feedback. What's going on for them? What's driving this? Why is that feedback coming my way? And what do we want to get out of this? And if we can, between both parties, kind of accept that, you know what, it is feedback. It's not a complaint about the person individually. And it's there for a reason. Usually it's there that they want something different. They want something more. They want to change the dynamic or change what's happened. And if we can focus on making that change, it sort of divorces us from the you're complaining about me and then moves us on to you're identifying a demand here that I can help you support. Yeah, no, it's very fantastic. And, you know, I think on the back of that, it's like, you know, if someone is having a hard time with their leader or their mentor you know it's like you know I think you know it's interesting to know like what your thoughts are in terms of what role do you believe mentorship and guidance plays in career Mm. progression especially if someone's giving you negative feedback like you know how how, what what are your thoughts on that yeah I mean certainly mentorship guidance of all sorts are critical for um well not just for career advancement they're also really critical of course just to keep the business running and I think we sometimes misunderstand what mentorship is and it's not necessarily just something formal that's been implemented by HR from a senior lead you know it doesn't have to be that your manager is your mentor we get mentorship from all over the place we get mentorship from our colleagues subordinates quite frequently as well and other people that we work with in the industry I mean yourself you're in some ways a mentor to me you're incredible at your communication style and I will learn from the way that you communicate and I consider that to be a part of mentorship as well so taking opportunities to grab mentorship even when it's not intended I think is really really important and anytime we can learn from another individual that we work with we're going to make ourselves stronger yeah, I love that. I love that philosophy because it's almost like, you know, it's like don't just always just look at the person that's above you. Look around you because you can learn so much, right? That That's that's gold advice, that is. Yeah, yeah totally. And, and I think what's also really important to remember is that the responsibility for mentorship lies with the individual. It's my responsibility to identify mentors and either formally or informally gather content from them. It's not the responsibility of HR or my manager to define a mentor because that's just not going to give me what I need. I know what I need for mentorship. I can identify, as we've talked about, areas where things have not gone well. Well, that means I need some mentorship and I need to look to somebody in my network to be able to say, how would you deal with this? What would you have done differently and would that have made the situation better? So I take responsibility personally for gathering mentors rather than asking somebody else to give one to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what advice would you give to people that are in the service in our community that perhaps they don't have that kind of, you know, especially with remote working these days, right? So it's very difficult. You know, you're not in an office anymore, so you can't just kind of grab someone at a coffee machine and go, hey, you know. So what advice would you give to those guys that are maybe sitting there by themselves? Maybe they don't have the best relationships with the people they work with, and they're kind of like in a stuck, right? They're in a hole. Uh, What advice would you give to those guys to kind of go, well, you know, reach out here and reach out there? Mm, I mean, it certainly does make it, I'll say different, not more difficult. It's just a different paradigm. And you know what? I think it's sometimes a bit of an excuse to say, well, I work from home. I'm alone. I only have a laptop. No, that's an excuse. 
you have a laptop, you have Zoom, you have Teams, you have colleagues. The fact that you're not kind of hanging out by the coffee machine doesn't mean that when you make a coffee, you can't do a quick Teams call to somebody that you see is available and say, hey, have you got five minutes? Mm. You know, I want to talk about something. I had some feedback or I handled this call this way and I know you're doing something similar. What would you have done? Uh, you know, so it's still completely fine to interrupt people for advice and generally they will love that as much as you will. I love it when people just send me an occasional ping on Teams and say, hey, have you got five minutes? Absolutely. I always have five minutes because that five wow. minutes kind of, it's the five minutes we used to spend around the coffee machine or water cooler or, you know, just kind of reaching over the desk saying, hey, did you watch Game of Thrones last night? You know, so that kind of um, ability to have just spontaneous dynamic interactions with people is still there. It's just a different paradigm now. We're not going to shout across an office, see people at a coffee machine, but you've got the list of people on Teams. When you see a green, and if you want to talk to them, ping them, see if we've got five minutes. That is brilliant. That That's great. Because you know what? I think, uh, you know, like I, I get a lot of feedback from, from people saying, oh, you know, it's like if it's not a scheduled meeting, you know, it, I shouldn't be talking to them. So I think that's fabulous that you think that it's still okay to ping someone a message or say, hey, can I quickly jump on for five minutes? Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not just accepted. I think it, it should be desired. I love it when mm. people send me a quick, you know, you've got five minutes. And, you know, I'd rather do a five-minute kind of quick check-in with something rather than wait for a week it to turn sour and need an hour to, to sort it out. Um, and so that yeah. quick five-minute thing we do sometimes see is missing now that people are not working in office, but really it's up yeah. to drive that. Still make it happen, just do it with technology instead of reach across the desk. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that's a really important message to give out to people because I, I even had someone say to me once, Oh, I don't want to just call you out. The I'm, I'm like, look, call me any time, and they're like, oh no, I don't want to call you because I feel like, I feel like I'm being intrusive without pre-booking a meeting. And I'm like, hey, I'm just like you. It's like, just call me. Like, you know, if I'm at my desk, I'll pick my phone up. You know, if I'm not, leave a message. If I don't want to talk to you, I'm quite happy to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, th yeah, I think. Definitely. And I think that's a really important message is that, you know, when you are working from home remotely, it doesn't always have to be wait till like the structured meeting, you know, the booking in the meeting. So and you know what, just talking about remote working as well, just in general, how do you find because obviously we've both been in the industry like when remote working was not even a thing. Right. So how have you found that kind of shift where it's kind of gone? You know, especially post-COVID, right? So, yeah. I mean, it's been quite natural for us, to be honest, because most of our developers are in Bulgaria. We've got people working mm. in Spain. We've got people working in Germany. I've got somebody actually on the island of Ibiza. So we've got people all over the place. And so this type of remote working always worked well for us because just that's what we do, right? I mean, a minority of the people work in the same office. Um, some environments, we, we try to promote some more home working. So, for example, Sofia, Bulgaria, which is where our development centre is, we have a lot of people working there. So we do encourage them at least several times a week to come in just so that they can have that close relationship. Developers, of course, tend to work better when they're face-to-face -face and you force them to talk <laughs> to each other. Um, but other than that, no, remote working has been absolutely fine. I do find it a little bit odd now that I think people don't recognise me unless there's a microwave in the background and they're not quite sure if I exist from the nipples down. I could be Davros, <laughs> for all you know. Um, so that's been unusual. And what I found really strange, actually, is when I go to, um, uh, like, Knowledge or the World Forum, seeing how tall people are, it always comes as a surprise. Yeah, clients absolutely. Years that I've never met, and I meet them at the, like, a World Forum, and I'm like, well, what are you doing down there? Because I expect 
<laughs> the same height as me because everybody's the same height on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, I know it's incredible. I, I mean, I felt that as well, like meeting everyone in person. It's it, it feels sometimes it feels a bit weird. It's like oh, I'm seeing you in the flesh, and it's like oh wow. But uh, yeah, it is it's amazing. So and like, what advice would you give to like maybe other leaders or team leaders, managers who? Uh, you know, um, like on the remote working side, especially because yours is so international. Um, like, have you got any like top tips that you could give to other leaders? Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of links into what we were talking about earlier. Don't be afraid of the ping. You know, encourage people to be spontaneous in their communication. It doesn't have to be organised meetings. So absolutely, yeah. spontaneous pings. Have you got five minutes? Have a quick chat. Even if you don't have anything to chat about, it'd be, you know, hey, Farrah, I've not spoken to you for a couple of days. How are you doing? Yeah. So that building personal relationships has fallen away a little bit. And I think certainly from a leadership perspective, it's important to promote that because we work well with people that we know well. And so mm. building an understanding about our colleagues and having that relationship becomes super important. I mean, just, you know, I don't know, something goes wrong Monday morning and I need to call Callin, one of my developers, rather than calling Callin when I've only spoken to him during organized meetings and asking him to do me a favor is much more difficult than calling Callin when I've been pinging him for the last couple of weeks and I've checked in on how his kids are already, you know, so yeah. just building a personal relationship is something that has slipped away now that we're not working in the office together. And that's really important to put back in place because that dynamic really helps a company work smoothly. Yeah, I totally agree. And like, you know, when, when we're working in office, you know, a lot of the time to build that relationship, it's talk about sometimes non-work stuff. Oh, did you watch that on telly last night? What did you think? You know, did you watch the football and stuff? So yeah, definitely. So I think it's great that it's like you take the time out to build those personal relationships. So, and, and, you know, like obviously because your team is very international, how, how, what advice would you give to other leaders when it comes to like managing like teams that are dotted around different countries? So, I mean, I guess that comes into different flavours. You've either got the dotting around where you've got lots of individuals in different places, or you've got dotting around where you've got teams in different places. And they have a very different management style, obviously. Um, so where there are teams in different places, it's, I've found that it's really important to make sure within that location, there's some level of seniority for somebody so that they can mm -hmm. take care of local management. Obviously, you get local HR and local legal issues, which have to be accommodated in that area. And it's important that somebody takes care of that and also takes care of the Shall we go out Friday night for a drink or um, let's make sure that we've got some extra chairs in the place because we're running out of space or who's going to sit where? You know, the sort of the stupid small minutiae of everybody working together, which you can't do if you're remote. So it's really important to make sure you've got some seniority in those groups so that you've got somebody who is just keeping things running that a remote person can. If you've got lots of individuals, um, well, obviously you don't have that issue, but then it's even more important to overdo the personal relationship stuff. So if we've got somebody who's working... So we have somebody, for example, that works in, in Spain. She's the only person that works in the whole country. Um, and she's amazing. But we have to make sure then that we're really driving communication so that she feels included as a part of our team, so that we know what's going on um, for that individual, you know, in a personal sense and what's going on for work, because we don't get the kind of arriving at nine o'clock in the morning and seeing that the person's stressed. We don't see whether or not they're having a good day. So just increasing the level of non-work communication so that we understand how that person's doing. Does that person have a good trajectory in their career? Do they feel comfortable today? Um, uh, is really, really important. And so that, I think, has been a big change moving away from officers, whereas managers, we really have to make sure that we understand the people that are working with us in a very different way. And again, that's about the paradigm of technology instead of clo uh, close personal physical contact. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, how often would you 
reach out to someone because obviously there is that fine balance of you know micromanagement and also being hey I'm open available you know uh, what, what what yeah how do you balance that act I mean that's a judgment call on the individual really uh, because some people just need more than others some people are going to reach a threshold of why are you bothering me much sooner than others so that's a really difficult question to answer uh, generically. Um, if I can give you an anecdote from actually before I was in IT, I, I was setting up um, call centres for, for Adobe in the Netherlands. And the, um, uh, there was one particular member of staff who had been with the organisation forever. He'd been there for like 17 years and was one of these people that you were never going to get rid of. Um, apart from anything else, Dutch legislation means that if somebody's been there a long time, it's really hard to get rid of them. Um, so, you know, he was just one of those people that we knew was always going to be there, but he needed lots of management. So, um, and he needed, and even this is even when we were face to face in an office, keep in mind, because this is back in the 90s. So, but it was one of these people where I had to make sure I took him out for a little, you know, lunch with supervisor once every few weeks to make him feel special, check in every morning that it was okay. Because I knew if I didn't, his performance would fall off a cliff because he'd feel as though he wasn't, um, as a part of the team and wasn't feeling yeah. special. On the other hand, of course, I had people that, you know, if I said, you know, hi to them and checked in on what they were doing more than a couple of times a day, they would, you know, get out of my business. You're, you know, you're interfering with me. I, you know, I need to get on with my work and that would, you know, um, dissatisfy them. So I had to kind of almost, you know, change the way that I interact with people based on the required style that they have. And that's even more important now that we're remote working. So kind of understanding what works for them. What's going to motivate them, not demotivate them? What's going to make them feel special and included without being over-harassing is a very difficult judgment call to make, and it's really just about understanding the individuals. And I think if you're a good manager, it doesn't matter whether you're managing in one of these boxes and you can only see this bit, or managing when you're you know, um, uh, actually physically uh, seeing somebody in an office, an understanding about what's right for them and the dynamic that gives them the most efficient working practice is just a management skill that we all have to develop. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. And, you know, I think it's great. It's like, you know, because I think sometimes people get, they pick a style of management and they think, well, that has to work for everybody. But I think it's brilliant that you've highlighted that treat people as individuals and change, adapt your management style for each person. Um, and, and like you say, it's most important is, is, is the getting the productivity at, to a peak, you know, and it's like, how can I best get that out of somebody? So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it has to come back to business at some point. I mean, we all want to be nice because we're nice. And it's yeah. nice to be nice. And we want colleagues that we would consider to be friends in some way. But underpinning it all, we're here to run a business. And um, it's really important as a manager to say, you know what, I do want to be friendly with all of my um, colleagues uh, at different levels. But ultimately, I need to be friendly in a way that then drives performance, drives capability, because that's ultimately what I'm promising to my clients. And I don't want a best friend in my business who's completely inefficient because of the dynamic we've created. Um, and so that balance between friend but friendly for business is also something that's difficult. And it's another thing where, you know what, you get ups and downs. <laughs> I'm sure all of the, anybody that's worked in management for a length of time will accept that at some point they screwed something up. Uh, you know, they didn't do the right thing. They didn't communicate in the right way. And some of this is, is about, um, through the journey, accepting that I'm not a perfect manager. I'm not going to get it right every time. But where I do incorrectly um, set the level of communication I want to have with a member of employee, and I see their performance dropping or I see their, their happiness changing, it's about trying to accept that, okay, I made a mistake. But I need to learn from that. It's not that I'm bad. It's that I didn't necessarily understand. So learn from that loss and make it into a win. So if they've got too much communication this month, I get that. I understand it. Next month, let's scale it back a little bit so that you can be more efficient and higher performing with a different dynamic with, with me. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And what what advice would you give to, like, say, a manager who, let's say, had an employee, great, always top performing, and they, like you say, they've been now there for a number of years, and you can now start to see that their, you know, their uh, productivity started to, to decline. Right? It's so it's not like they know, don't know how to do the job. It's maybe it's more of an attitude change. What advice could you give to somebody like who's in that management position at the moment and doesn't know? what else they could do i mean it's getting to the why is the really important thing you're absolutely right people change we all do you know and if we reflect internally at ourselves it's certain that everybody can consider there's a time when they've gone oh my god what am i doing i hate this job what the hell what what, what am i really doing here because we all go through that so if i go through that of course everybody else goes through that and people on the team sometimes go through those days where it's just not okay and maybe it's a day a week a month so understanding why they're in that space is the answer to you know resolving it quite often it's that it was one small thing you know negative feedback from a client that got them down they don't feel as though they, they're being productive and therefore they stop being productive they um have run out of steam on the piece of their career they were in. So really having a conversation with the person in a very open, transparent, and non-scary way. Don't ever involve HR. <laughs> in yeah. Right? <laughs> you just terrify the person. But being able to talk to the person and say, hey, you know what, this is what I'm seeing right now. What's going on for you? You know. Yeah, I love that. Which then reflects back to, it's important to have those irregular ping conversations because I need to be able to ping a member of staff and say, hey, are you? can anybody over here right now? Let's just have a chat. What's going on? Because I'm noticing something's not right. Can I help? Yeah. That can then unlock their why. Why are they feeling this way? Which can lead to a resolution. And it could be that they, I don't know, need their responsibilities shaking up a little bit. Do they need to look at a new focus for next year? Do they even need to know that there is a next year and what their focus is going to be? So what can we do to change the why they're feeling in that way right now? And we can do that collaboratively. And it can be something really simple. Could be something really horrible and complicated. Who knows? Until we yeah. get into it. But asking the question and having a good relationship with the person so that you can then pull that out of them is absolutely key because there is no one size fits all answer to somebody not being satisfied. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And you know, it's 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 like getting over the fear to kind of go. Well, I don't want to annoy them because I really need them in the business. But you know, and they are kind of technically doing the job, but I can see it's not at the level. You know, they're not coming up with ideas. It's not pushing as they were. Um, but, I, you know, it's, it's, people do find those kind of conversations difficult, you know. Um, they you do. Know. I, mean, I think what can often help is not focusing on the today. Mm. Focus on the tomorrow, right? Let's not focus on the fact that you feel like crap today. Let's not focus on the fact that there was negative feedback. That's history. It's done what it is. Let's focus on what we can do to change that, evolve that. Let's start talking about 2024 priorities. Let's start talking about what the business is doing and how you can be an instrumental part of that. So quite often, just shaking them away from that and saying, you know what, forget what the past was, forget that negativity, forget whatever it was that drove you here. Let's just take something from that and work out how the future can be different, can really help them to believe that it's in their heads, of course. Quite often, they're doing the whole, oh my God, I've had negative feedback from a client. I'm going to get fired. I don't want to have a conversation with them. They're spinning in their head on all these negatives. And as a good manager, we need to shake that negativity away, remove the fear. This is not about you getting fired because there's been some negative feedback. This is about us making sure that we're servicing our clients in the right way and delivering a great experience for employees that work for the company. And we can do that as managers. We just have to get the employees' focus in the right way so that we can collaboratively build for the future.
Yeah, that's amazing. And I, re- I really like the point you made earlier about you don't need to wait for a one-to-one or a weekly one-to-one or a monthly one-to-one to have that conversation. You can simply just ping them and go, oh, you know, are you okay? Yeah. Is, is, are things okay with you? You know, how can I help? Totally. You know? And I think you get a better response that way. I mean, it's always scary. Of course, we've always we've all been junior people in organisations, and uh, you know what? If yeah. you're coming up to a, an organised formal one-to-one where there's going to be a form filled out, and you know that there's something mm. negative going on, and you're already feeling horrible about it, the anxiety of of leading up to that one-to-one is horrible. So it's horrible for the individual, and performance falls off a cliff because when somebody's in their head, they're not giving their best. So it's quite often a lot better to sort of puncture that by not waiting for a one-to-one and just doing a quick five minutes. Let's just catch up because it then it takes the fear out of the one-to-one because it's still going to happen. We still have to do it formally for HR. But if you've had all of the difficult bits up ahead, then the one-to-one becomes much more about, hey, we talked about the fact that you were bum, 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 and we've already talked about, so what we're going to do in this one-to-one is agree how we implement something that's going to help. Mm, absolutely I love that and you know what these days as well mental health is such a big topic right it's probably the number one topic um, in in all organizations and and even socially as well Um, so I you know definitely I agree that mental and emotional well-being you know is critical for sustained success personally yourself how do you prioritize self-care and manage stress uh, or burnout, you know, it, it, I would say a really demanding kind of role that you're in at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, it's different for everybody personally. I do the gym. I find it really works for me to um, get out of my head and get into my body um, because I'm an overthinker. And uh, if I don't do something like that, if I try to stay mental, I just would never sleep because I'd be spinning on things all the way through the evening and then it'd still be in my head when I'm trying, it would, you know, I, I'd go insane, <laughs> I'd go insane. Um, so I, my personal um, strategy is go to the gym, go frequently and really work on my body and that just stops me thinking, allows me to switch off a little bit. It's almost like getting a reboot in my head uh, and it means yeah. that when I finish there, I can get back into it and I'm, I'm strong again. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, that's amazing. So wonderful. And you know, um, what I was going to say is, you know, for let's say for for the new people that are joining the service now industry, um, and who are establishing themselves, just in terms of a career sort of progression point of view to stand out in the industry, what what would you recommend? What would be your advice? What they should get into? Um, So in the service now slash IT service management industry, I think there's an immediate assumption that the career path to excellence comes from technical ability and technical certification. And certainly that's a part of it because you've got to have a good baseline of understanding the technology. But the way that I see people really driving success is focusing on the why. Why are we doing this? Why does the client need this? What's the background for the demand? Because focusing on business need, which then can be delivered using IT capabilities in ServiceNow, is, I think, the bleeding edge of what we're doing within the industry right now. So gone are the days where we can get away with just implementing incident management. Now, now clients have done that. They can do that themselves. Why would they come to a partner organization or a ServiceNow consultant direct to say, hey, deliver me incident management? It's stupid. It's just not going to happen. What they do want is somebody to say, okay, what we see is your business needs incident management delivering in a certain way to be able to deliver against its mandates. And that additional business context and the why we're doing things is where I'm seeing real achievement with people right now. And those are the people that will become leaders, managers, consultants, because they're able to create something that a customer wants and have it delivered 
by the people that then haven't focused on the why that have done the certification. So certainly if, mm. if your career goal is to be a developer, that's what you want to be. You don't want to move beyond that. Totally go for technology, go for certification, follow the learning paths that ServiceNow set out. It's great. It's a fantastic progression. But if you want to go further, yeah, you need to step into the why. Wow, that's incredible, that is. And and what, like, to to somebody to, like, you know, when people apply for a job, they apply for a job title, right? So what job title would that wife fall under? What category? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it really doesn't need to. Um, so the people that succeed are the ones that actually don't um, have the capabilities for the job on paper in front of them. The people that succeed are the ones that have capabilities going beyond the job that's in front of them. So certainly turning up for a job as a, developer, for example, because we know that that's the bread and butter of this industry. You know, if you turn up for a job interview uh, for a developer and you show me your certifications, you talk about the fact that you've implemented X, Y, and Z, well, that's great. But the other 20 people are all going to say exactly the same thing. The person that comes for an interview um, as a candidate for a developer, but can also say, you know what, I've been studying ITIL V3 as well, because it's really interesting for me. And the last client I worked for, we implemented this. But actually, when I talked with the client, I think we should have implemented these things mm -hmm. because of whatever various reasons. Now, that's the developer that sticks out in my mind, because I know that I'm going to hire him as a developer, but he's going to be extremely valuable because I can leave him in front of a client without me having to be there all the time. And I know that he's going to have some progression because he's already been responsible for his own education and his own progression even before he got to me. Right. So now reflecting on your own career journey, what advice would you give to young ServiceNow professionals aspiring to um, enter the industry or follow a similar path to, to the levels that you have reached, Glenn? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody's path is different, of course. As we talked about a little earlier, I bounced around like a pinball machine in the start of my career. So I certainly wouldn't recommend that because I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. I just kind of ended up in the IT industry at the end at the end of that bounce around. So there's a little bit of luck in there, which is probably the same for most career progressions, right? I mean, not many of us can think ahead when we're 20 to the job we'll be in when we're 40. So there is a little bit of luck in there, to be fair. But certainly the advice I would give people who are starting in the ServiceNow journey is... Well, I mean, obviously focus on ServiceNow as a, as a product platform. Their um, learning paths are fantastic. And their certifications not only prove to an employee that you've gained a certain level, but also importantly, shows us that there's a consistency of approach and you've got a body of knowledge that you can then deploy for clients. So without question, that's a great path to go on. But what we also see um, is, you know what, if I put out an, um, uh, an opportunity for uh, a developer position, I'm going to get 20 people, 30 people, 50 people, all that have got the same qualifications, all that have worked on an implementation before. So, you know what, everybody has that. So it's no longer enough if you want to succeed to do the baseline. We need to start considering what's next. And what we see delivering value to our clients is not necessarily how to deliver something in ServiceNow, it's why we're delivering this in ServiceNow. So it's elevating to really business mandate, and it's understanding that each of these ServiceNow capabilities has value, how can that value be applied to a customer and why are they asking for it? What is it actually going to, going to be achieving? And so although that's not necessarily strictly needed as a developer, well, if I'm talking to 20 developers, 19 of them have got great certifications. That 20th person has the certifications but also understands why I'm going to pick them because it means I can leave them in front of a client without having to worry that they're going to say the right thing. I can um, give them the ability to talk more with the client and drive strategically what we're doing with the client because they understand the why, and it sets them up for their next position. So they can work as a fantastic developer for a couple of years. Of course, everybody wants to 
developer wants to be senior developer architect whatever they want to move on to next and that business context and understanding of why is really critical to taking the next step and of course i'm going to hire somebody that's ready for their next step if that's what i've got in front of me sounds amazing so perfect so look final question if you could go back in a time machine and talk to your 21 year old <laughs> self let's think we're back to the future you know what advice would you would you give young glenn and at that age it was the end of the 80s so i would say ditch the perm it's not working <laughs> i love that <laughs> and that's it <laughs> basically you know wow. else, a 20 year i think when we when we're all kind of 2021, 20, we take ourselves extremely seriously. And, you know, I'm 21 years old and I've got to get on my career path and I've got to build for the future and it's all happening now. I'm 21. My God, everything's so important and so exciting. I mean, I'm a lot older than 21 now. And uh, kind of looking back, I mean, really what I'd say for people that are 21 is don't take it so seriously. You've got a long time ahead of you. Be patient. Um, and certainly if I could tell myself something at 21, yeah, I say, you know, stop thinking that 21 is going to be it. It's not going to be all over this year. You don't have to plan out the rest of your life this year. Get some good core skills. Be a little bit patient. Accept the fact that it may take 10, 20 years to get to the point I want in my career. You know, that kind of long journey uh, and the long game we were talking about a little bit earlier. It's really important for people that are young to remember. It's a long game. You may well be in your 40s or even your 50s before you get your, your um, uh, important positions in life. In the meantime, have a little fun. Don't have a perm. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. So look, Glenn, it's been fantastic to speak with you today. Um, there's definitely some amazing gems in there that I think we can all take inspiration from and, and other leaders as well. You know, um, it's just fantastic to hear to hear your vision, your story. So thank you, Glenn, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure, Farah. Thank you for inviting me. That's great. Thanks, Glenn.